How did you come to be made alive if you're a Christian? It wasn't because God was looking down, watching your life develop and said, man, there's one I've got to have. He or she is just so special. No, it was solely the grace of God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom concludes his current series with part two of You Must Be Born Again. The doctrine of regeneration is profound within the body of Christian teaching. But sadly, many Christians do not fully understand all that it entails. In one of the most well-known conversations in all of Scripture, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Such a statement was shocking to Nicodemus, who thought his lofty religious position and his good works would be enough to save him. But Jesus makes it clear that no one can be saved without the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Well, friend, have you been born again? Have you experienced regeneration or spiritual birth? Let's join Tom now as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Regeneration by the new birth. Here's a theological definition. This comes from biblical doctrine edited by the faculty at the Master's Seminary. Listen carefully. This is a long definition, but stay with me. This is regeneration. In the exercise of His sovereign pleasure... God issues an effectual call in the heart of the elect. He powerfully summons the sinner out of his spiritual death and blindness, and by virtue of the creative power of his word, imparts spiritual life to him, giving him a new heart, along with eyes to see and ears to hear, and listen to this, and thus enabling him to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. This is the divine miracle of regeneration or the new birth, end quote. Now, that's a, that's a long definition, but let's, let's break it apart a little bit. Let's look at, secondly, we've seen the, the theological definitions. Let's look at the biblical descriptions. The, the Bible describes this reality using three pictures or three images. The first is creation. Regeneration is like recreation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. If you have been born again, it's like God recreated you. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, we are a new creation. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.24, our new self in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So the first picture of regeneration Scripture uses is creation. It's like you've been created all over again. The second picture is resurrection. Resurrection. This is Ephesians chapter 2. After he talks about our being dead... He says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Again, if you have been saved, if you've experienced the new birth, if you've experienced this radical transformation, not only is, is it like 
you've been recreated. It's like you were dead, and in a moment you were brought to life. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with Christ. The third picture the New Testament uses is birth, and that's the image used here in our text in John 3. So let's see how that image unfolds, and having considered then the the biblical descriptions as well as the theological definitions, let's continue to look at the nature of regeneration and consider some key characteristics of regeneration. What are the characteristics that mark this miraculous change? First of all, it is a divine act. It is a divine act. Notice verse 3 of John 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, if you have a version of Scripture that has marginal notes in it, you'll see that in both cases, next to born again, it says, or born from above. It could mean either. It could mean born again, or it could mean born from above. I think with John's penchant for double meaning, something he does throughout his gospel, I think he intends us to understand both meanings. So we are born from above, that is, it's supernatural. It's something God does. And we are born again, that is, it is a second birth. It's separate from our physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. But don't miss the main point. In using the metaphor of birth, Jesus' main point with Nicodemus and with us is that we have nothing to do with our new birth, just like we had nothing to do with our first physical birth. J.I. Packer, writing in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, puts it this way, infants do not induce or cooperate in their procreation and birth. No more can those who are dead in trespasses and sins prompt the quickening operation of God's Spirit within them. In other words, God alone regenerates. In other aspects of salvation, we do participate. I mean, God doesn't repent for us. He gives us repentance as a gift, but we repent. God doesn't believe for us. He gives us faith, according to Ephesians 2, as a gift, and we believe because he gives it to us as a gift, but we believe. But in regeneration, we are entirely passive. We don't do anything. God does something to us. Theologians refer to this as regeneration being monergistic. Mono meaning one, and erg is a unit of work. So monergistic means one working. In regeneration, there's only one person working, and it's God. We don't cooperate with him in regeneration. It's something he does alone. It is a divine act. Secondly, it is a sovereign act. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. Literally, the Greek text says where it wills. The wind blows where it wills to blow. Now, I have to say, as I was walking from my car to the worship center, I thanked God for the wind that was blowing because you got a living illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. You were trying to keep your hair in place, if you have any, or you were, you were, you know, you were trying to, you know, keep, make sure that nothing blew away, and you, you felt the effects of the wind. Jesus here compares the Spirit's work in the new birth to the wind. You can't control the wind. You can't control the actions of the wind. 
And you can't control the actions of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. He's sovereign. He blows where he wills. He decides to regenerate whom he will. And the rest of the New Testament says it's only those on whom the Father set his eternal love in the past. And first chapter of Ephesians calls them the elect. He decides, the Spirit does, to regenerate them when he will, in his time. The point is, it's the Spirit's sovereign work. He does it when he decides to do it. Back in the 1970s, some of you are old enough to remember this, it was popular to tell people, you need to be born again. Even as you were evangelizing, you'd say, you need to be born again, as if that was something they could do. But when Jesus used those very same words with Nicodemus, he did it to show Nicodemus that he was, in fact, incapable of being born again. The heart change that was necessary for him to enter the kingdom of God, he had no power to accomplish. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, as well to tell a lame man to walk, a blind man to see, as to tell a dead man to live a man without spiritual life, to have it, or to say, you must be born again. Ferguson goes on to say, there is a paradox in the gospel at this point, for we discover that the one thing needful is almost the only thing outside our power to perform, end quote. You must be born again, but guess what? You can't. The Spirit accomplishes it when and where He chooses, just like the wind. It's a sovereign act. Thirdly, it's a gracious act. It's a gracious act where it wishes, where it wills. That's the wind, but the Spirit's the same way, where He wills. God didn't decide to do this based on anything in us, but only His gracious decision. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, listen to it again, verse 5, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive by grace. You have been saved. How did you come to be made alive if you're a Christian? It wasn't because, you know, God was looking down, watching your life develop and said, man, there's one I've got to have. He or she is just so special. My kingdom will not work without him. I I need him. No. It was solely the grace of God. In other words, the only thing that moved God to give you new spiritual life is because of that in God which finds joy and delight in doing good to those who deserve exactly the opposite. That's His grace. And He said, because of who I am, give that one life. It's gracious. 1 Peter 1.3 puts it like this, according to His great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. Number four, it's a mysterious act. Look at verse eight. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. You see the effects. As you were walking to the worship center and the wind was blowing past you, you didn't see the wind. You saw the effects of the wind. You saw the trees gently swaying in the wind. You felt the breeze against your face. You felt your hair move. You saw the effects of the wind. But there's something mysterious about the wind. Even in in our day, we understand basic concepts of how wind patterns develop, but there's still a mystery to it. You can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. There is also an element of mystery to the new birth. We don't know exactly how God affects this change or always when He affects this change. It can't be reduced to a test tube in a laboratory. 
Now, there are times when, when a Christian is confident of the day and hour he was regenerated. This is especially true if you were saved as an adult. You know, you lived a life of sin, and you came to understand the gospel, and boom, you believed, and, and there were changes all over the place. And so you can look back and say, I know when I was regenerated. I know the basic time when that happened. But for others, especially those who grew up in Christian homes, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly when regeneration took place. There's a certain mystery to it. But whenever you experience the new birth, one moment you were dead and the next moment you were alive, and there were always the effects of the Spirit's work. You saw the stirrings of life. You saw the the results of what He did. So, As we've considered the nature of regeneration, we've seen the definitions, we've seen the biblical descriptions, we've seen the key characteristics, that brings us then to the heart of it, and that is the specific elements, exactly what is regeneration. Well, Jesus defines it. He mentions two elements of the new birth in verse 5. John 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, here it is, born of water… And two, born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So first of all, the first element of regeneration is to be born of water. Now, what is that? Some think that this is a reference to natural birth, that, it, that Jesus, when he uses the word water, is speaking of the amniotic fluid in the womb. Well, that doesn't fly because there's no reference like that in the rest of Scripture, and that's not how the ancient world spoke of it either. That's more of a modern reality. Others say water here refers to baptism, but Jesus doesn't say baptism. He says water. And at this point, there was no Christian baptism. Nicodemus had heard nothing of baptism, and yet Jesus expected this leading teacher in Israel to understand what he's talking about. And in fact, in verse 10, Jesus gently chastens Nicodemus for not knowing So here's the question. What would have come to Nicodemus' mind, the teacher in Israel from the Old Testament he was so familiar with when Jesus mentioned water? There's only one answer. In the Old Testament, water was always a symbol of purification. So Jesus was telling Nicodemus that to enter the kingdom, he first must have a new birth that cleansed him, that purified him from his sins. You must be born of water. And secondly, you must be born of the Spirit. The new birth, what you need, Nicodemus, is accomplished in you and in in whomever by the Holy Spirit. Look down at verse 8. Jesus says, born of the Spirit. Jesus was teaching Nicodemus that to enter the kingdom, he was entirely dependent on the Spirit of God as we were dependent on our parents for our first birth. We don't enter the kingdom when and where and how we decide to, it's ultimately the Spirit's decision, and He alone accomplishes our birth. We are born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus' comments here are drawn from a key Old Testament passage. Turn back to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 36. Here is the new covenant promise. It's describing a day when this new covenant will become a reality in the in the nation of Israel at the end before Jesus returns. But notice how he describes here regeneration in verses 25 to 27. Now, you'll notice six times in this text as we work our way through it, God says, I will, I will, 
I will. That's the emphasis. Now, in verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, the phrase Jesus used in John 3, born of water, is explained. Look at verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, your your moral corruption, and from all your idols. In regeneration, God cleanses us from our moral defilement and all of our idolatry, and we're all idolaters. As Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. We find everything but God to worship. So there is this cleansing from sin. That's the first specific element or component of regeneration. Now, verses 26 and 27 of Ezekiel 36 explain Jesus' phrase, born of the Spirit. Look at verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. The heart here is your entire nature, your, the, the nerve center of who you are as a person. I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you, a, a new understanding, a new grid for seeing the world. And, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Instead of your hard, stubborn, rebellious heart, I'm going to give you a soft, pliable heart. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. There's what it means to be born of the spirit. In regeneration, the spirit recreates us with new spiritual life. He comes to live within us. He gives us a new heart that loves God and loves others and that guarantees our growing obedience to God. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's regeneration. That is the nature of regeneration. You must be born of cleansing, cleansing from sin, and born in the creation of new spiritual life. Thirdly and briefly, let's consider the cause of regeneration. The cause of regeneration. First of all, what are not the causes of regeneration? Look at John 1, John 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now notice this, who were born, here we're talking about the new birth, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice there are three things there that are not the cause of our regeneration. First of all, the cause is not our human descent or ancestry. Bloods, that's what it means, those you descend from. That's what the Jewish people thought. If they, were, if they had the blood of Abraham flowing in their veins, they were good. They were in. And John says, not so fast. No, that's not true. It's not based on human descent or ancestry. That's not the cause of the new birth. Secondly, it's not human works or religion, nor the will of the flesh. That is what man in his fallenness decides to do. It's not human works or religion. And thirdly, it's not human decision, nor the will of man. Those are not the causes of regeneration, the new birth. So what are the causes of regeneration? Well, the ultimate cause is the will of the Father. Look at verse 13, John 1, 13. We were born, notice, by the will of God. That's the ultimate cause. James 1, verse 18, says, in the exercise of His will, God birthed us. God brought us forth. 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The ultimate cause is the will of the Father. So in a sense, theologians are right then to call this grace of regeneration irresistible. That is, it's going to happen. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean it's against your will that God drags you kicking and streaming, screaming to Christ. No, He makes you willing. The Westminster Confession puts it this way, we come most freely being made willing by His grace. How does God make us willing? He removes our blindness, and suddenly we see the ugliness of sin, and we see the beauty of Christ in the gospel, and we willingly come. So the ultimate cause is the will of the Father. The efficient cause is the work of the Spirit. God the Father does this through the agency of His Holy Spirit. Look at John 3, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 8. All three verses, He says, born of the Spirit, born of the Spirit, born of the Spirit. The instrumental cause is the Word of God, the instrument the Spirit uses. James 1.18, in the exercise of His will, God brought us forth by the Word of truth by the word of truth, by means of God's word. 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. Specifically, the instrument is the gospel message. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by hearing the message about Christ. So the, the instrument that the, the Spirit uses is the gospel. One final detail just to mention briefly has to do with the results of regeneration. The results of regeneration. We've seen the cause, now let's look at the results. In regeneration, we are changed at every level. But let me, let me just spell out some of the results. First of all, God cleansed the defilement of our hearts. We just saw that in Ezekiel 36. God cleansed the defilement, the pollution of sin in our hearts. Secondly, God enabled us to enter His kingdom by faith. Remember, Jesus says you cannot enter into the kingdom unless you're born again. So when we're born again, guess what? We enter the kingdom. We're enabled to enter the kingdom. Thirdly, God enabled us, and this will come as a surprise to some of you, God enabled us to, through regeneration, to believe in Christ. Look back at John 1 again, and the end of verse 12 and into verse 13. Let me read it literally to you from the Greek text, okay? Here it is. You follow along. Let me read it. The ones who are believing into his name, these, not out of bloods, nor out of the will of the flesh, nor out of the will of man, but out of God, they were born. Did you hear the verb tenses? Those who are believing were born. The verb tenses are intended to communicate that one happens before the other. The reason we are believing is because we were born. They imply that regeneration happens before we exercise faith in the gospel. In other words, you never would have believed the gospel if God hadn't made you first alive. That means that not in terms of time. Don't think about this as time. You, when you're saved, the moment of salvation, at that very moment, you are you, you experience the new birth, you repent, you believe, you're justified. All of those things happen in a moment of time. But theologically and logically, there's an order to them. And regeneration comes logically and theologically before saving faith and is what enables us to believe. We were not born again because we believed. We believe because we were born again. 
You and I also need to live a life of thanksgiving and praise. You and I should spend every day of our lives saying, God, thank you for that sovereign, gracious act in which you gave me life. I didn't deserve it. You had every right to pass me by, to condemn me forever to the judgment I had earned. But in your grace and mercy, you made me alive. By grace, you have been saved. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed, concluding his series with part two of You Must Be Born Again. Tom will begin another series on our next broadcast, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you describe the time when you were regenerated or born again? You know, Bill, I was raised in a Christian home with Christian parents who took me to church, taught me the gospel. And I made several preliminary professions of faith, as many children do growing up in such a setting. But it really wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I was in a service where I heard an expository message actually on the end of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, at the end, you have a list of those who won't be in heaven. And as this pastor explained that passage, and just in a very cursory, shallow sort of way, I saw myself in several of those lists of sins and sinners, and I realized that I wouldn't be in heaven. And then I saw that Jesus Christ was, in fact, the Savior, that he could redeem me. And I threw myself that night on his mercy. I pled with him to forgive me, to change me, to cleanse me, and he did. Thanks, Tom. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Mm